You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing 2-0. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yaspinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it, it's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Dent, the Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run, just hit one into the screen, Bucky Dent. Hi everyone, I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. And we have a outstanding guest on this week. He was a teammate of mine, one of the greatest third basemen to play with. And I just marveled when I played with him. His name is Greg Nettles, but his nickname is Puff. And also we have on the line with us is Yankee Magazine Deputy Editor John Schwartz. And we're going to have a fun time today, John. What's up, Bucky? How are you doing? Doing great, man. It's been a long winter, ready for some baseball and ready to talk to one of the all-time great third basemen and a great Yankee who is a Yankee captain, and that is Greg Nettles. I tell you what, Bucky, you know this. I I, I can't say it enough. We we get people emailing us. You know, we, we say it every episode. Email us. Let us know what you think. The most common email we get is do an episode with Greg Nettles, and we're finally doing it. I think we're going to make a lot of people happy today. We are. And, you know, he's... Uh, He's one of those guys that, you know, you just kind of forget about, but he was such a great third baseman for the Yankees in that time that, that I played in New York in that era where we won, you know, two world championships. And, and I just say all the time, I marvel at him playing third base. He made my job easy because he played off the line and he caught everything in a hole. So uh, I'm just really looking forward to talking to him and hear some of the stories because he's got some great stories. Well, let's get right to it then, Bucky. Why don't we get him on? Let's get him on. Glad to have you on. It's been a long time. Haven't seen you in a while, but uh, you're trying to sell your house, so we gotta we gotta move along. But uh, it's it's great to have you on, man. You know, we we started. You know, I, I was telling I was telling my wife one of the funny stories. You know, that when I signed with the Yankees and I came over in '77, I'd played with Mad uh, with Bill Melton, and Melty didn't dive at too many balls, and he you know he was pretty good at right at him. But I, I remember the first game we, we opened against Milwaukee and. I think Don Money hooked the ball in the hole and you know that 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 field had like a crown in it so it kind of sloped down towards shortstop you know the ball's going through the hole I dive trying to knock it down you know and I get up and I'm looking to see where the ball went in the outfield and you'd scooped it up and thrown it to first base for the last out and it, and I, I I jumped up and I was like oh my God, you know, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we got in a dugout and you started laughing. You kind of said, you know, what are you doing? I said, well, I was diving to knock the ball down, <laughs> you know, and you just started laughing. But, you know, it, it, it was funny. It never got there. I got it. <laughs> That's right, man. You know, but uh, I got to say, you know, you, you were just an uh, unbelievable third baseman. And uh, uh, you made my job a little bit easier at shortstop because I didn't have to go as far as I had to with, with Bill over there when I when I played Chicago. But, I mean, you, you just had a knack, man. I mean, you were just awesome at diving for balls. Well, that, was my, that was my whole theory. If I can, And I played off the line quite a bit, too. So I figured if, if I could play off the line – as far over as I could get. I, you know, if a guy hits a ball over the bag at third, it's going to be a double anyway. So I wanted to take away that hole between short and third. So I played way off the line, which enabled the shortstop to play another couple steps up the middle. So, I mean, I saw a chart one time when I was still in the minor leagues, uh, they call them spray charts. Now I didn't know what it was then, but they showed where all the balls were hit. And it, most balls were hit toward the middle of the field. So I figured on defense, if you can bunch the team up the middle, you're going to cut off a lot of more, a lot more balls than than uh, you would if you didn't. I I totally agree, and you know it was interesting because when I went to to St. Louis and uh, I was coaching for Joe Torre, you know, um, you know one of the guys did a a thing, a whole thing on the minor leagues, and, and the Cardinals at the time, you know, George Kissel 
was a guy that really did it. They had seven minor league teams and they did an evaluation of, you know, garden the line, not garden the line, you know. And so Kissel came up with this thing. How many balls would beat him going over the bag, you know, out of all the seven teams? And it came up with it. And they, I think there was like five out of all the teams that they wound up getting beat with balls going over the bag. And that, that was his theory also, you know, was play off the line, even with two outs, you know, I mean, that was one of his big theories. Well, I, I always said, I didn't see any statistics on him, but I always thought that for every ball that goes over the bag affair that I, I'll, I'll take 10 balls away from that go, that go in that hole. Right. So, you know, sometimes you look like you're out of position, but, you know, we didn't have the we didn't have the nerds telling us where to play in those days. But we just wait, hang hang on, hang on. I, I, I got it back up here because what you're describing right now is exactly the same thing. What you're saying is using the data and using what you where you thought the ball was going to go and positioning yourself there. I was about to say this is amazing. I have Bucky Dent here praising analytics and praising the shift. I thought this was great for a second. No, 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 no. Well, Don't get us wrong now, John. You know, did I could shift on? A, I, I'd shift on my own. You know, I would say. You know, I didn't have to have somebody waving a towel in the dugout telling me where to play or some some nerd before the game telling me where I'm supposed to play. Because I, I knew I played the game. So I knew where the, I knew where guys hit the ball. I didn't need I didn't need some guy that never played the game trying to tell me where to play. Yeah, you remembered who was coming up and, and that's what I was telling John and when we were on one of the shows last year, you know, that you know, when I came up I had a great infield instructor, Monchek, you know, and he taught me and you know how to play a position, who was pitching, you know, what the count was and things like that. And you just had instincts and you did them on your own. And he says, I'm going to move you as a rookie because you don't really know the hitters. But, you know, you're going to eventually, I want you to do it on your own. And if you're out of place, then I'll move you. But you kind of, you know, and I, and, and I was saying, you know, you could name a guy right now, I mean, who we played against and you'd know right where to go and stand and, and play him, you know, depending on who was pitching. We did the analytics, but we did it ourselves. Right, right. And and I think that that's one of the big things in, in the game today, you know, is that the, the analytics has, t- has taken away the, the natural instinct from a lot of guys of playing. But well, The whole thing is that the, the, we used to win games or play the game, and the best, the best athletes would win the game, you know, in, in a long season. You had best athletes, you'd win. But now they, they, they're creating these kids that are good athletes, and they're turning them into robots. They don't know, they don't know where to play. I see a guy – come out in the seventh inning and they show the center fielder and he pulls his hat off and he's looking under his hat to see where his notes on where to play a guy. And then he moves over two steps and everybody says, Hey, that's great. You know, you were a six time all-star two time world champion. You were the ALC MVP. You won two gold gloves. And that's one thing that, man, I tell you what, I always wanted to win a friggin' golden glove and I never did. And well, that was hard to do when Brooks Robinson was playing. <laughs> I know. And that's he- what I was going to say, you know, and with Belanger, you know, when I, when I was playing, you know, it was Belanger, you know, it was all like an automatic, you know, right. that, that those guys were going to win the, you know, the golden gloves, but you know, uh, that's one thing I always wanted to win. But you won your first one in '77, right? You know, it's funny about the Gold Glove is that, you know, the first year I moved to third, first time I got to play third base in the major leagues every day was when I was with Cleveland, and, you know, the first year I played, I led the league in fielding. I thought, well, I guess I win a Gold Glove. Well, I didn't realize that it was something that's voted on, not nothing to do. You know, there's politics involved in it, so coaches and broadcasters vote on it, I guess. And I. You know, I saw the way some of our coaches voted on. They would be, they would come in after batting practice, and there would be a, a ballot with uh, for the Gold Glove, and they'd just come in there and give it about two minutes, looking over and just start checking off names, and that was it. So it's just, and, and they didn't want the, you know, the coaches didn't want that obligation to. They so they just, they just kind of just checked it out, checked every name off, and it was gone. So, you know, that's I'm not taking anything away from Brooks. Obviously, he was the best, but. But he wanted – he kept winning it, and I was going – I, I set records. I led the league and field, and I couldn't get a gold glove until he finally retired. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's kind of like what happened to me in 75. You know, I uh, would uh, – you know, Belanger was there. You know, I mean, you, you lead the league and put outs, assists, double plays, and things like that, and and uh, and you don't win. You go – you scratch your head, but you don't say anything, you know. But, you know, when when you said that you were – you played third base, what – position did you play before you moved over to third it's a good story as I signed with the Minnesota Twins as a second baseman and because I wanted to be 
you know, I thought I had good power. I wasn't sure until I got into professional ball a couple of years that I realized I, I did have good power, but I thought I had good power and I wanted to be a power hitting second baseman. So my first year I was in a ball of the Midwest league and about halfway through the year, I was leading the league in home runs playing real, real good second base. I thought so the twins came down and told me, they said they want to move me to third. And I said, well, why I'm doing a good job at second. I'm hitting, I'm fielding, I'm doing it. Well, they said, there's a guy one step ahead of you in the organization. He was in high A ball. I was in low A ball times. So I said, well, who's that? And they said, Rod Carew. I said, oh, yeah, I saw him in spring training. He's a pretty good player. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll move to third. Who's playing third for the big club? They said, Harmon Killaroo. Oh, good. He just hit 49 home runs. That <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm pretty well screwed if I stay here very long. I got traded to Cleveland, Alvin Dark came up to me the first day of spring training. Actually, he called me before spring training. He said, I, I hear you can play third base because nobody had seen me play third base in the big leagues at, yet. I was, they had me platooning in the outfield. So Alvin Dart said, I hear you can play third base. I said, yeah. And he said, well, you're my third baseman when spring training opens. And then that's all, that's all I needed. I needed the break. Got the break. I worked my butt off and, and you know, the results spoke for themselves. Right. And that, that's the thing, man. Sometimes you can get stuck behind somebody, you know, and, and, you know, where are you going to play? You know, I mean, I, I, I signed as a third baseman out of college and they moved me to shortstop because the White Sox didn't have any shortstops. So, um, it was kind of like a little bit easy for me to move through the system once I moved over the shortstop, you know, and, uh, and started playing. So I got a chance to go up in, in 73 because, you know, Aparicio had got traded to the Red Sox and they really didn't have a shortstop, you know. Uh, so I, that's, that's the opportunity that I got. You know, now the players have a little bit of freedom of movement after a, a few years in the minor leagues, but there for a while, you had nowhere to go other than the team that signed you. So, so when you came over to New York, Ralph Halk was the manager. Yeah, I loved that guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I I really liked him too. I mean, I loved talking to him about baseball and stuff like that. He was one of those old old guys, you know, that you just respected and and you and you loved talking baseball with him. I, I just but, I remember one time I was playing with Cleveland. He came out of the third base dugout to argue a play at second base. As he ran out there, he just stopped and looked at me and giggled and says, "I got to have you on my team." I'm <laughs> going. <laughs> And then the next year I was on that team. Oh my God. So so you you played for you played for some great managers. I mean, you played I was looking at your stats, man. I didn't realize twenty-two years you played in the big leagues. I mean, wow, how did how did you do that? Because back then it was almost like when you got to thirty-five, you know, you were you were pretty much done. You know, they were they were looking to replace guys, you know. Yeah, but, that was the cutoff point when you when you when I first signed, I was 21 years old, and they, you know at that time, if you could make it to your early 30s, that was a nice career. But I just kept plugging along and plugging along and playing, and I had good years and, and ended up uh, being 44 when I retired. So I wow. was I got a lot more. In fact, I told my wife Ginger, we're still married, so it's been 55 years. But I told her the first year that I went to play, I said, "Well, I'm going to find out if I'm any good because I never played against kids from around the, the whole country." Right. I know a good player in San Diego, but I didn't know the rest of the country. I said, I'll give this three years, and if I don't if I don't make it, then I'll try to use my college education and do something. But, you know, three years turned into 23 years, and finally nobody wanted me. <laughs> so, Craig, though, I got a question for you because, you know, we, we, we put questions out to people a lot. You know, what guests do you want? Who do you want us to talk to? And I got to tell you, like every single response we get, says Greg Nettles. Bucky, I show him to him and get him. Everyone's like, get Nettles on, get Nettles on. What do you think that is? Why do you think that, you know, you resonate so much with uh, this group of fans, the, the fans who are, you know, obviously of, of that generation? What do you think you mean? To, why do you mean that to them? They appreciated hard play. And I played the game pretty hard. You know, I went after every ground ball I could get and I'd slide into second. If I could get there in time, I'd try to take the second baseman out. I mean, I think that players, you know, you do it clean. You don't do it uh, dirty at all. But I think the fans appreciated that. And uh, we had a lot of, uh, I guess you'd call them gripers and people who wanted to hog the headlines a lot. And I I didn't want to be a problem for any of my managers. So I didn't, I didn't complain a lot. In fact, I, one year I hit, I hit eighth most of the year and I led the league in home runs, but that's, you know, I said, you can put me wherever you want in the lineup. And so I, I, I was never had any very many negative 
headlines. So I think the fans could appreciate that. And in, in fact, that I don't, I don't go back to old timers day much anymore. So I think the fans are wondering if I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, Bucky? Why do you, why do you think it is that, uh, you know, cause, cause you've seen the emails and you've seen, you know, it, it's just everyone get nettles, get nettles, get nettles. Well, I, I think because, you know, you, you, you forget, you know, he, he was a Yankee captain too, sure. you know, um, and, and he played in those great years where, you know, people, you know, the seventies teams were teams that people really related to, you know, I mean, whether we fought off the field or whatever, but they went between the lines and we had some guys that were just awesome players and awesome people. You're talking about catfish hunters, Sparky Lyle, Goose, you know, um, Thurman Munson, um, you know, Mickey Rivers. I mean, people related to those and the way he played third base was like a magician. I mean, you know, I mean, diving at balls, he played hard and you never, you know, he had a wittiness to him in the locker room, you know, that a lot of people don't know, you know, but I mean, he was very witty, you know, and that was part of the mystique about him, you know, and, and I think that's why people want to know where he's at and, and want to, want to hear him. I mean, he, he was a great player. To me, defense was a game in itself. You know, everybody, everybody wants to hit. They just, they'll stand out there and they'll take two hours of extra hitting, but they won't take, they won't take 10 minutes extra fielding. But, but to me, defense was fun to me to play. I'm, I'd make a game out of it with every hitter. If a guy was a, you know, could hit the ball down to third very, real hard, I'd play, him, I'd play him back and let him see me play back because I'd, I'd rather he bunt. <laughs> a bunt was a lot easier to play and field than a, a shot off your shin. So, I, you know, I would see the guy look down at me, glance down at me a third, and I'd be playing deep. But I knew that he thought in his mind he could bunt. So as soon as the pitcher started his windup, I'd start moving in. I'd be, I'd be even with a third base bag. The guy would bunt and he couldn't figure out how I threw him out. But I like to, I like to play games out there just with the, with the hitter, move around a lot. And, uh, you know, I just had a routine. I would go over every scenario that could happen between pitches. You have about 20 seconds. So I'd say I would, I would, in my mind, I would picture a ball hit to my right. I would picture a ball hitting to my left. I would hear, uh, picture a swinging bunt. Those are three balls you're going to have to field. So I would do that between every pitch. And by the time I might not get any ground balls, but by the time I got a ground ball in the eighth inning, I had gone over that play in my mind, you know, for a hundred pitches. So it didn't, I didn't get surprised by the ball. I mean, there's a lot of fielders out there that they definitely don't want the ball and you can see them. They, they're thinking anything, you know, they're like, please hit the ball somewhere, but me, but I wanted the ball. I wanted the ball hit to me. It's pretty funny to me because I think that one of the very few things in sports that's more difficult than playing third base at the major leagues, not that I've ever done it, is playing third base in softball. Um, like, you know, after work, work league softball, because you're so close to the plate. It's basically slow pitch. If someone connects, it's coming right at you. For years and years, I, when I worked for Major League Baseball, we had a third baseman who, I swear, you've never seen anything like this. He would die for every ball and get every ball. And I always remember there was one game where someone on the other bench like, stop hitting the ball to Nettles over there. And we all just lost yeah. it. And we're like, you know what? I wonder how Greg Nettles would handle this situation right yeah. now. The funny thing is, too, when I, when I originally signed with the Minnesota Twins, they flat out told me, said, you'll, you'll go as far as your bat will carry you. You know, we, 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 we really don't have a position for you. That's why I was playing outfield and everything. When I got to the big leagues, they had me playing everywhere, but they, you know, they said, you'll go as far as your bat will carry you in this game. And so, and now after everything's done playing, the first thing people say to me is, you were a great third baseman. And I got a kick out of it because you know, I mean, I, it didn't just happen. I worked, worked my butt off to become a good third baseman, but, but the fact that people remember me for my defense rather than from my offense. I mean, I offensively, I had 390 home runs. When, when I retired, I was 24th on the all-time list. And the game had been played for 100 years. And so I, you know, I was very proud of the fact that I had 390 home runs. I would have gotten to 400 if we hadn't a, had the strikes and, and things like that. I would have got to 400, which was a magic number. But uh, I was very happy, you know, with my my offense, and I was very very happy with my defense because people people compliment to me these days about my defense. Yeah, but in July of 1980, you hit your 267th home run, and that was the most 
for you know from the AL third baseman. So you know, I mean, I moved ahead of Brooks at that time. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I remember that. You know, and but you know, jump, you know, jumping in, you know, when you got traded to New York. Um, it, plus, going back to the fact that you know you were, we were talking about, you know, you were you were a manager's delight though because you you didn't cause you know much problems. You just went out and played the game like most everybody did, you know. And and I tell the stories a lot, you know, back when I came up, you know, the managers really didn't talk to you much. I mean, you know, when I played for Chuck Tanner, you know, if he came over, if, he, if I saw him walking towards me or something, I go, oh crap, what did I do? You know, they just they just wanted you to go play the game and 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 play the game the right way and and uh, and win. And so, you know, I, I think that's another thing about you is you didn't, you know, you didn't cause a lot of problems, you know. And I just want I wanted to be in the lineup every day. I mean, one of the one of the first stories you hear about even before you get to the Yankees is a, a Wally Pipp story where. He was having a pretty good year back in the twenties. He was hitting three hundred. He had a headache, and they they said let the rookie play. Uh, so Lou Gehrig went in and played, and then two thousand games later, he came out of the lineup. You know, even in spring training, I like to play almost every spring training game because I thought if somebody came in there and I wasn't in there and they hit two or three home runs that day, it was tough to get them out of the lineup. So I I never wanted to give that the guy behind me a chance to play. So. I mean, I, I for about a ten year period there, I averaged 159 games a year. So I, I just didn't like to sit out at all. But then come Billy Martin. Yeah, Billy was good because I had played for Billy in the minor leagues with Minnesota. I, when I played in Denver AAA, Billy was my manager. And uh, first couple of weeks he was there, I hated him because he was screaming and yelling at the players, and I didn't I didn't need that. Yeah. So, uh, but we ended up getting along great. He taught me how to win. He was a he was a great manager, and and then then when he the next year he went to the big leagues as a manager, and I went to the big leagues as a player. So I played for him for a year in the minor leagues and a year in the big leagues. And we even though we won the division in '69 with the Twins, and he was a rookie manager, he got fired because he was Billy. Right, That's, he wanted it. That's so. And then we got, got together again in the Yankees when he got there in '76. Uh, you know, 76, you guys, you know, go to the World Series. And then I came over in 77. And I, I don't know what it was. Me and him didn't see eye to eye, you know. And when I came over, you know, I had some problems with him. And matter of fact, I, I tell the story, you know, that, you know, he started pinch hitting for me a lot. And when I came from Chicago, you know, I never really got pinch hit for a lot, you know. And, and Thurman used to whistle at me in the on-deck circle, you know. And I'd turn around because, you know, I thought Billy was whistling at me to come back because he's pinch hitting for me, you know. So I got all in on that. Yeah. So I got, so I got to the point where I just stand in the on-deck circle. I wouldn't go to the, I wouldn't go to the, uh, you know, the batter's box because, uh, you know, and then I'd turn around, you guys would be laughing. And I'd go, oh, God, you know. <laughs> but, but, to Fred Stanley, too, who was there before you. We Every time he'd go up to – every time there was a man on base and he was going up to hit, we'd whistle at him. Yeah. Oh, God. Man. He'd whip but, around. He, he's looking for the manager. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, some of those guys, I mean, that we played for, you know, would, you know, Thurman and, you know – and I, I tell the stories all the time, you know, about you with Art Fowler coming out to the mound, you know, with Art would be walking out to go up and talk to Gidry and you'd walk up to the mound and go, Art, if you say one damn thing to him, I'm going to kill you. That, that was the year that Gidry, he was about 12 and 0 at the time. And so he he walked a guy at the end, I think the fourth inning of the game or something. I know, I know Billy was, Billy sent him out there just to calm Gidry down. And I, I knew that Gidry didn't need any calming down. He just needed to get the ball and throw it. So Art got about two feet from the dirt of the mound, and I got in front of him. He's coming from the first base dugout, and I got I got between him and Gidry from coming from third base. And I told him, I said, Art, if you say one thing to this kid right here, I'm gonna kick your ass right on the mound. And all these people, <laughs> he, just, he just turned around and went back to the dugout. And I saw Billy. Billy was kind of raving his arms. And he said, "What the hell happened out there?" And Art goes, God damn, Billy, I don't know. He's, he's that nettle says he's going to kick my ass. So I'm coming back here. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, and then Art would come out sometimes and go, Gidry, I don't know what the hell you're doing wrong, but you're sure pissing Billy off in there. <laughs> I mean, right. a lot of people don't know those mound talks that, that go on out there. You know, some of them are, are just BS stuff, you know. And, and some of the funny things, you know, that, that people don't know is like when Goose came over, 
He used to yell at him, throw harder, Goose, throw harder, you know, <laughs> and then, and he'd just get madder and madder and, and just start throwing harder and harder. But uh, those are those are some funny things. Had a game in Kansas City, I think it might have been a playoff game. Might have been again, and Goose was pitching, and uh, I, I, I think Amos Otis was on first base, and he, he could steal a base on anybody. But Goose would go into his stretch, and he wouldn't even look at first, and Amos would go taking off running, and the guy would foul it off. It happened about three pitches in a row. So I went over to the mound. I said, Goose, we're trying to get a double play. Could you please hold him on first? Get the hell off my mound. What you <laughs> with a rosin bag in the dirt and the fans in Kansas City are hooting and hollering. Next pitch, yeah. you got a ground ball double play and game's over. Yeah, yeah, because I, you know, Goose was my roommate, you know, when yeah. we first started out, and, and I knew playing behind him, you know, I very seldom, you know, somebody would say, hey, go to the mound. I go, I'm not going to the mound. I mean, this guy will bite your head off if you go to, go to the mound, but uh, uh, those, those are funny. And uh, about the one uh, I always tell Boston, and even Goose was telling the story about the last out that was popped up to you. Right before that, you were, you were yelling at him, hey, Goose, pop him up. Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I, you know, it's funny because the 10 years earlier, I'd been with the Twins and we went into Boston the last weekend of the season. And all we had to do, the Twins, we had to win one game out of those two games. And we're in the World Series. Well, Boston won both games and they went to the World Series. And in that series, Yastrzemski, I think, went probably seven for eight with a couple home runs. He just beat us by himself. And so here it is. That was 1968. And now here it is 10 years later, 1978, when we played that, uh, that playoff game. And now here we are in the same situation. Here's the Yaz up. I said, this is going to beat us again. I, I, I had a feeling, you know, I just had a feeling. And then finally, I'm just over there. I said, come on, yeah, pop it up, Yaz, pop it up. And then pop up went up to me. And I, I said, oh, not to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pop ups. You know, pop ups are something you never practice. So when pop ups go, I usually call for you. Yeah. I, one time I was playing in San Diego and I'm playing third, and a pop up went up in the air. It went up in the air, and I just started yelling for Templeton. So I said, Tempe, Tempe, you got it, Tempe, Tempe. Well, he caught it with one foot on third base. Oh. And as he caught it, he looked, he gave me the dirtiest look. Like, what the hell's the matter with you? I said, Boy, you had a lot of room. You had a lot of room. Yeah, Goose Goose thought you dropped the ball that day. I mean, I, I heard him. We were talking at a at a banquet about a year ago, and you know he was explaining that, and he used to catch the ball off to the side. Caught the ball off to the side, so he thought he dropped it. And he and he said the ball went by your, and he didn't know if you caught caught it or not. He started to run over there, you know, and um, he he saw that you had caught it, but. Uh, that's some funny stuff, you know, that people, a lot of people don't know, you know, all that funny stuff that goes on, you know, in the clubhouse and, and things like that. But, I mean, we, we played with a bunch of game-type great players. I mean, you know, Catfish, one of the all-time great guys, you know, love to play with him. You know, Gidry and, of course, you know, Thurman. So, you know, yeah. people, people always ask about Thurman, you know. You know, he was one of the toughest competitors that I ever played with. He was a, He was gruff to the press and – you know, he didn't like a lot of the questions that the press asked, and none of us do. Mm -hmm. and, but, but in the clubhouse and on the bus and on the planes, he was great. He was, he was great. I remember the you know talk about Mickey Rivers that ragging on. We get on the bus. You know how the bus ride was. We everybody man. would just be ragging on whoever screwed up that day, and it was all in good humor, pretty good. <laughs> and then finally, we were getting on Catfish for giving up the home runs as he does, and Mickey Rivers said, "Catfish." He said, you're giving up so many home runs in center field, I'm getting wish lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we knew, we knew what he meant. Yeah, you know. But him and Pinella used to get into it. I mean, bus would be real quiet, and then all of a sudden catfish would start on Pinella. Hey Lou, how's your hair smell? You know? <laughs> and then then it, it would it, it would start, man. And and I'll never forget we were going into Boston. Remember that a series, I think it was in seventy seven. We were going in there and they were getting on each other and, and Pinella says, Catfish he says, you're pitching in Fenway tomorrow. He says, I'm going to have to stand on that left field wall with a crab net. And son of a gun, if they didn't hit like seven or eight home runs in that game <laughs> off of us, you know. And, and we got on the bus that leaving out of there. And Pinella goes, oh, 
Cat, my neck is just killing me from seeing all those balls go over that fence, man. <laughs> so we used to get on catfish a lot because he give up so many home runs, but they're almost always solo home runs. So he, he could give up four home runs in a game and win the game six to four. But we we were getting on him. We were playing up in Seattle. This is his, catfish's next start after he had given up a home run in every game in these last five games. So you know we're getting on him. So first inning. First two guys for Seattle make outs and they're throwing the ball around the infield. I tossed it to the cat and I said, Hey, you're almost out of this inning without a home run. Next <laughs> guy up hits a little two hopper to me, hits my glove right in the heel of the glove. I drop it man on first next guy up hits a home run. Oh man. I was, I couldn't even look at catfish. I think he was, <laughs> a, he was, he just kind of looked at me and cat and I were good friends. He was my next door neighbor in New Jersey. So we, you know, but I felt so bad about about doing that and about making the air. And it was it wasn't like it was a hard play. Yeah, he play, and I booted it. Next guy up hits a home. Danny Myers hits a home run, and man, I I just I never felt so bad. God, that's un, that's unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I hear you guys telling these stories, and it just like I'm not trying to be a downer here when I say it. Just makes me so sad about this year because I know how big a part of your lives is getting together and sharing memories and things like that. You know, I mean, just. What, how, how difficult has it been not to see any of your guys this year, not to get to have any opportunities to just, you know, shoot the breeze like this? You know, I do a lot of things at Yankee Stadium, uh, go up into the suites and talk to, the, you know, season ticket holders and the fans. And we just we just don't do that anymore because of, you know, there's no fans. Right. So we didn't get to do that for a year. So I miss, you know, every time I'd go there, I'd see Mickey Rivers or I'd see Goose. Uh, I'd see these guys or Roy White. And I, I see guys there and then now I haven't seen any of those guys for seems like a couple of years. Well, you know, the thing, the thing too, you know, is, is, you know, old timers day and, you know, Puff, you haven't, you haven't been back for a while, but that's where, you know, it, it, it it's really fun. And, you know, I think also, you know, the guys today, uh, the locker rooms are so big. You know, back in the old Yankee Stadium, the locker room was kind of small, so everybody was in the room together. So, you know, that's where a lot of the back and forth went. You know, we went in the sauna, you drink a beer after the game, kind of calm down, you know. Plus, the games were a little bit quicker than they are today. But, you know, that that's where all that that fun and badgering and, and, and stuff, you know, that's that's where it all took place. Right before the COVID hit, you know, we did that Yankee Legends things where it was me and you and and Goose and uh, was it Tion and Bill Lee? Uh, Mickey uh, was the Riffords was there. Wade Boggs was there, and we had we had a ball. I mean, yeah, that was a fun deal. Yeah, fans, they got you know, we did it twice down once in St. Pete and then once down in Fort Myers. Right. And, uh, yeah, the fans loved it and we liked it, and then uh, the COVID hit and everybody went their separate ways. Yeah, and, and didn't Bill Lee? Didn't Bill Lee and you guys say we're sorry? <laughs> we're sorry. Yeah, I remember. You know, they brought up you know the fight. You know that you guys got yeah. in. You know when you when you broke his shoulder. And yeah. Stuff like well, that. well, you know we had had a fight with them earlier in that or the year before. I mean, the, the fight we had, I think it was seventy six, and we had had a fight with them the year before in Boston. A couple guys got. You know, when you get 30 guys on top of each other and kicking and scratching, some of their guys came out with scratches on their face. And Bill Lee said, said, yeah, the Yankees fight like a bunch of Times Square hookers. Hit you with their purse <laughs> and their high heel shoes. Well, I said, oh, I think I'll remember that. So we just happened to get into a fight with them at Yankee Stadium. What about you and uh, George Brett? You guys on OK terms now? Yeah, we were, we were on OK terms before that happened. And... uh you know, it, it just happened—a spur of the moment thing. I, Don Baylor ran over, but uh, over uh, well, uh, Willie. Yeah. It's base, and I felt bad about that because I double clutched the ball and didn't give Willie a chance, and he got taken into left field. And so then, the, the next day, uh, I think I tried to take out Frank White, and I ended up with, I think, a concussion. I got hit in the head with something, either his elbow or the ball or something, but. And then the next day, Brett decides to slide into me and throw a, throw a punch at me while he's swinging, while he's sliding. Well, he made the mistake of getting in a fight in front of our dugout <laughs> in Kansas City. By the time the guys in the first base dugout came over, he was pretty well taken care of at that time. But he, uh, now we get we got along fine. We we get along we got along before that. And we get along 
after it. I think one of the funniest things about watching that today is like you watch the whole thing and it's like, okay, it's over. He's standing at third base. Just, it's you yeah. know, no, no ejections, yeah. no anything. It's game five of the. The umpires <laughs> knew the game. You know, they, they, they knew what was going on. If somebody was throwing one, knocking a guy down and stuff like that. But, you know, before I forget about it, I want you to tell the story about the pine tar thing because you were the one that uh, the series before. You, you were the one that told Billy that, that Brett was using an illegal bat with the pine tar was up to hat. It happened a couple of years, oh boy, two or three years earlier, it happened to uh, Thurman. We were playing in Minnesota, and Thurman got a base hit in two RBIs. Well, they came out, and uh, the manager, I think it was Frank Quillacy, he came out and complained that the pine tar was too high up the bat. And then they, and the, the umpire said, yeah, it is too high up the bat. So they called Thurman out, took away his two RBIs. And it was just, you know, it was a kind of thing when the games weren't televised everywhere in those days. So a lot of people didn't see it, you know, didn't, it wasn't a big deal. There was, there was no ESPN in those days, nobody to show highlights and things. So nobody knew about it except the two teams that were there that day in Minnesota, but I remembered it. And then I, when it happened, uh, it happened, we were playing Kansas city that, that a couple of years later and, and, uh, Brett was using the bat. The pine tar was way too high up. It it, it didn't make any difference. It didn't help like uh, steroids or anything like that. It, the bat was, it was a rule. It was a stupid rule and they had a rule. So I told Billy about it and Billy said, well, we won't do anything unless he gets a big hit against us. Well, the next week we were playing in Ken, in New York and Brett's still using that same bat. He was such a good hitter. He didn't break bats, I guess. He's using that same bat and he hits the home run off goose. And here comes Billy out of the dugout and called it on him. And just, I mean, it was, it was pretty hilarious being a part that's of that. Say, like, yeah. As that's going on, are you guys just sitting there trying to make sure the camera doesn't catch you laughing? Or like, I mean, what are you, how are you reacting to this on the field watching? Well, if you, if you see the films of it again, you'll see Brett come running out of the dugout. And I'm standing right there at home plate. I wanted to watch the umpires measure the bat. They took it, put it down on home plate. I guess home plate is so many exactly, inches. Yeah. And they saw the pine tar was too far up the bat, but I was, I was standing right there when Brett came charging out of the dugout. It was it was pretty funny. <laughs> Speaking of bats, um, going through my notes, I see where you you got caught one time with uh with with, with super balls in your bat. Uh, next question. <laughs> <laughs> next question. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, we had a guy on the team. You know that in those days there was a lot of guys that were corking their bats. Oh yeah. I mean, just every just. Pitchers were scuffing the balls. <laughs> Hitters were corking their bats. But we had a guy on the team, Bill Sudeikis, that said, um, he said, I got, I got a friend of mine is a woodshop teacher. He's got the greatest glue. Because, you know, when you when you do cork a bat, you – what we did, he sawed the end of it off. and Because, well, you get too technical. You always look at the end of the bat and see if there's a little plug hole in the end of the bat. You know, the, they corked it. So he said, this guy will saw the end of the bat off put the cork in it, and then, then glue the end of the bat back on. I said, well, okay, let's try that. So I tried it. First time up using the bat, I hit a home run off the bottom of the scoreboard in, in Shea Stadium. We were playing in Shea in those days. I mean, I said, wow, I like this bat. So the next time up, same pitcher, he throws Woody Fryman. He throws a bat. I hit it off the end of the bat. I hit a ball, kind of went out over shortstop off the end of the bat. But I noticed that the end of the bat came came right off, and it was rolling toward the third base dugout. I look back, and there's Bill Freehand kind of walking after the end of the bat. I mean, it's pretty funny. I'm finally I'm standing there on first base, and they grab the end of the bat, which was sawed off clean. You've heard a guy getting sawed <laughs> off, but never like that. But I got sawed off, and the umpire looked at me. He didn't know what to do. He just kind of looked at me and said, "Hey, you're out." I said, "Okay." I just ran in the dugout. And, <laughs> I didn't know where that bat came from. Oh man, I tell you, you know, can honestly say I only used it for two at bats. Yeah, but I tell you what, you're right. Back then, there was a lot of guys, especially you know, guys like scuffing balls and oh you yeah. Know, I, mean, I mean, using look. First time I ever faced Gaylord Perry, I'm a rookie. We're in Cleveland. He strikes me out four times on spitballs, you know. And then, then years later, we wound up playing with him in 1980, and. uh you know, and, and and I still could never find out where he put the stuff because he used to put that 
analgesic bomb all over his body and he yeah. sweated like a ton. So you never knew where he was going to get it from, you know, but. Uh, when I was playing with Cleveland, Gaylord was pitching for us in Cleveland. Yeah. He hit, somebody hit a ground ball to me and I grabbed it and I went, uh Oh, I had to, I had the, the Vaseline or whatever he's using right on my fingertips on the ball. I said, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I got to throw it all the way across the infield. It just took a, it got over to first base and then just took a dive. Took a dive. Oh, I think Chris must have, I think he had to block it or something, but it was a, it was something that I had no control over the ball and I knew it because it just, it slipped out of my hand and took a funny trajectory toward first base. You know, you, you played 22 years. Talk about some of the guys that you play with, the great players that you, you know. That- I'd say the greatest player I played with that nobody even hears about anymore was Tony Oliva. He was one of the best hitters. He was, I got called up to the big leagues in 67, and I'm on the bench, and uh, Tony Oliva's hitting, and he gets down 0-2. And, and I said, somebody on the bench said, oh, he's in trouble now. I said, Tony's not a good two-strike hitter. And he goes, no, the pitcher's in trouble. He proceeded, he left-hand hitter, and he proceeded to hit a line drive off the left field wall. I mean, he could hit the ball. He could hit the ball from line to line with better than anybody I've seen. And it's too bad that he got hurt when he did. That uh, it's just too bad. He was a great player. I, I mean, I played with him with Harmon Killebrew. Great right. player. Rod Carew was a, unbelievable. Carew, one of the better hitters I've seen other than other than Tony Gwynn. He was probably the best hitter I ever ever saw. And Tony Oliva was right there with him. I mean, these guys could hit with uh, – they could hit they could hit 330, 340, but Tony could do that and hit 30 home runs. Yeah. This is when – here, 20 home runs, when 20 home runs was was big. When the, some of these other great hitters would only in, – in the in the 8 to 10 home runs. But Tony right. had power and was a great hitter. Well, you know, when I came up in 73, you know, the first trip we went into Minnesota, you know, it was Tony Oliva, Rod Carew, Harmon Killebrew. um, I think it was Larry Heisel, Bobby Darwin. I mean, and those guys, I mean, the first two errors I ever made in the big leagues was Harmon Killebrew. I mean, he hit ground balls. You could hear him coming. They had like that spin where he'd go, you could hear him coming. And this thing hit me and just beat me up. And I just picked the ball up and threw it back to the pitcher. But, I mean, those guys – they hit the ball really hard. How about, how about would you like playing third base with Frank Howard hitting? <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, I played, I played. I played Frank on the outfield grass. That's not, where I played him. Not just near the outfield grass. The third baseman playing three steps onto the outfield grass. I mean, you don't ever see that. Because, you know, the first spring training I was in with Minnesota, we went and played uh, the Washington Senators, and, and Hondo was playing for them. And I saw him hit a line drive to our third baseman. And it went right through his glove, broke the webbing of his glove. Mm. I said, man, I don't think, I don't know if I can handle this. So when I, first time I faced Frank playing third base, I was playing, like I said, three steps onto the outfield grass. And the, the, I know Frank pretty well now. I said, the big dummy, he bunted, which made me <laughs> real happy. I came oh. in and fielded the ball. He was already across first. I just tossed it to the pitcher and I want to tip my hat to Frank saying, thank you very much. Well, you know, he was my coach in in Columbus, and I'm telling you what, he was one of the funniest guys. That I mean, I mean, he could tell some stories, you know. And he's talking about in the World Series, you know, bunting in the World Series. And I'm I'm going, are you kidding me? He goes, no. He says I I had to lay down a bunt, you know, in the World Series and stuff like that. But I remember playing him for the first time. I was the same way. I played like five steps back in the grass because in in Chicago they had astroturf on the grass part. And it was drizzling rain, and he hit a ball, and I used to use a real small glove, and he hit it, and it skipped on that turf, and I reached for it, and that ball just like burned a hole almost in my glove, just spinning, just going, but he was one of the only guys that came up that I was really, really scared. You're talking about that uh, AstroTurf infield in Chicago. Yeah. I was playing winter ball uh, when when, uh, Dick Allen got traded from the – Philly or from the Phillies, I guess, over to the White Sox. And I remember playing down in winter ball. Somebody had, had one of the players had played against Dick Allen said, I've never seen him pull a ball foul. He always hits the ball hard up the middle. So I said, I'll remember that. So we got into Chicago to play him. And I said, well, this guy's never hits the ball foul. So I played way off the line. 
I played, I played way. I mean, I was almost playing short in that AstroTurf infield. He hit a ball. You talk about a guy who hit a ball hard, Dick Allen could hit him as hard as anybody. He hit a, a one hop shot to me. I went to backhand and, and it knocked my glove off my hand. I said, ah, that ball's hit hard. So the next time he came up, I was hugging the line. <laughs> I said, you can, you never hit a ball down the line. You can, you're not going to hurt me because it would hurt me <laughs> if I played up the middle. Again. But he, yeah, he was talking about another great hitter. That was, he was one of the best. Now you got to go to spring training a lot, you know, with 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 the big club and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, you, you got to work with some of the young players and things like that. How was it working with Jeter? Uh, I didn't work a lot with Jeter. <laughs> oh, you didn't. He was pretty. He was pretty much uh, well refined when he got there. Oh, I, yeah. I tried to work a little bit with A Rod. I don't know if he wanted to listen to me or not. Well, I was there that year. I came over. I came back from Kansas City. I got, you know, I left. And yeah, I enjoy, and, we enjoyed working with a lot of the young infielders. I I worked a lot with Mike Lowell I, uh, between seasons one time. When he was with the Yankees, we went down. We had a uh, some kind of camp down in Tampa, and I worked a lot with Mike Lowell, and he turned out pretty well. Uh, yeah, he he was he was a good player. Do you some of the third basemen that play today? I mean, I think the Yankees got a good one now. I love to watch him play. He reminds me really good. He, he, he reminds me a lot of you. I mean, he dives at balls and throws from his you know. And he's got he's got real soft hands and he's got real quick feet. Yeah, that's what you need over there. You know, you everybody says you got to do this. You got to have good hands, good this, good. This. I think if you've got if you've got good feet, good quick feet over there, it'll you put yourself into position to to be able to make the right throw. And this kid looks like he can do it. Well, look, when you have a game where he's diving left and right after balls and also hitting a grand slam, that feels like a, a pretty good tribute to Mr. Nettles over here. Yeah. I mean, you know, back, you know, Brooks Robinson, you know, uh, Craig and, and Brooks Robinson, I mean, neither one of those guys were fast runners, but I'm telling you, they had quick feet and lightning, you know, hands and, you know, uh, got rid of the ball, unbelievable. So you know, people say, "Hey, you know, you got it." No, you don't. I played with some. I played with one of the greatest, and he didn't run very fast, but he could. <laughs> he caught everything and and dove and caught everything and uh, got rid of it as quick as anybody I've ever played with. I have a couple of records as far as assists for a third baseman in a season and double plays for a third baseman season. That I mean, that was they've been there since the early seventies. So that's fifty years that. Uh, these records haven't even come close to being broken because, and I don't think they will be broken because I think the way they play the game now that they just all want to hit the ball over the bleachers instead of trying to hit singles. And so it makes it kind of makes it easier to play the infield when the ball's just going straight up over your head rather than down toward your shins. Very true. Puff, I want to, I want to thank you for being on today, man. I know you, you're selling your house and we probably went a little bit longer, but you were awesome. And uh, I was glad to, to be able to get you on and, and tell stories. And you were one of the, you know, the, the, the greatest third baseman to play the game as far as I'm concerned. And I, uh, I'm, I'm so tickled to be able to have you on and tell stories and, you know, all the memories from back when we played in New York and stuff like that. And hopefully we'll be able to have you on again. So, you know, and we'll soon, do it soon, buddy. And uh, good luck with your house. And thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thank you. All right. All right I'll talk to you later. John, that was awesome, wasn't it? I mean, uh, the people were right about having him on. I mean, he's got some great stories. He was a great player. And for 22 years, I didn't realize he had played 22 years till I started looking at the notes. And uh, uh, just a great, great third baseman. And, you know, I, I marveled. You know, they'd hit balls over third base. And I would just, you know, he'd dive and make a play. And I'd just start chuckling. That's the thing, Bucky. I was joking about it when I was saying it about, you know, my uh, our, our third baseman in uh – corporate softball but the problem is look i was born in 81 so you know nettles is a guy i never really truly got to see and appreciate i was probably too young to appreciate you know a great third baseman or whatever you want to say but yeah it's been fun always going back and looking at it and watching him play and it, it is a different style that he played with a little bit than what you see today but man he was good oh he was good and i always said 
when he dove at a ball, I never saw him bobble it, come out of his glove. He always caught it, and he was so quick that he got up, you know, and, and made the play. And, you know, that's something that I don't know if you can teach. That's just tremendous hand-eye coordination. But, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, that he he had a wittiness about him that was really, really funny in the clubhouse or on the bus, like we were talking about the bus rides. I mean, he had a, a, a real funny, sarcastic, wit about him that was just i mean hilarious oh i could i mean look i've spent enough of these conversations listening to you talk to your old buddies to make me uh regret the fact that i never got to be on one of those buses with you i always think back to you know my old high school sports uh games and and, and the bus trips that we would take and the way that we would beat up each other and you know i don't think we quite had the same amount of juice as uh lupinella yeah. or uh, nettles or whatever but it sounds like a good time i'll tell you that much Oh, yeah. In, in those bus rides, don't get on the bus if you screwed up. That was the thing, you know, because either that or you wanted to get on the first bus. You didn't want to get on the back bus because that's where you know, all the action was and all the, you know, the, the comments. And, and I mean, they would just be all over you if you screwed up during the game. Look, I'm just so happy that I got to experience this, you know, moment early in the show when Bucky Dent and Greg Nettles are really singing the virtues of analytics and positioning and all that stuff. I thought that was great. I thought that we really, uh, I thought we made some progress there, Bucky. I'm, I'm, pr- I'm, I'm proud of us. <laughs> we did our analytics in our head. Remember, now don't forget what he said. You know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of charts to look at, pal. We just did it in our head, you know, and they told us, you know, you got to remember this, you know, and you just learn the game and you learn what to, what to do. And we're, and plus we had great, great, you know, I had a great, I always brag about him now, check i had a great infield instructor taught me taught me the game and and i had some guys in the minor leagues who were awesome too you know so um those are our analytics in our brains but you know later on fair enough yeah we're getting we're getting closer though bucky we're getting closer we're getting closer pal (laughs) hey man look it's spring training starting this week it's been a long winter i I know you don't know what it's been like because you're down in florida you know watching super bowl champions and things like that but i've been staring at my window at the same snow on the ground for a week and a half right now and now i think we have like another storm coming but all I know is it's spring training. It's spring training week. It's got to feel good. Yeah, the balls and bats are getting ready to come out, you know, and I'm just looking out to 75 degree weather, sunny here Don't in Florida. Brag. Don't and, brag. And, and, and I'm ready for it myself, <laughs> pal. But, uh, you know, we got another year going and we're looking for some more great guests and uh, talk some more old time baseball. It's a lot of fun. And, and I'm really looking forward to it again this year being on with you and, uh, and Al. Sounds like a plan, man. Thanks so much. I'll speak to you soon. You got it, pal. And to everyone else, thanks for listening to another episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you a little bit more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from Bucky and Greg today, you should also check out the Yankees Magazine Podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine, and of course, talk Yankees baseball. And with spring training starting, that's something we get to do now. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And now is absolutely a great time to get a new subscription to Yankees Magazine or to renew your subscription. Go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS to buy or renew or gift someone else a subscription to Yankees Magazine. They'll love it. And if you like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read. And we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time and go Yanks. Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.